The world's longest-running comedy music concert series is back. I'm literally only here because I'm desperate for human interaction. (laughs) (laughs) That is the best ad for MarsCon comedy music track ever. MarsCon 2022 is taking place March 11th through 13th at the Hilton Minneapolis St. Paul Mall of America Hotel in Bloomington, Minnesota. Yeah, I haven't performed in a year. Let's do the hard one first. This year's event will have performances by The Great Luke Ski, Devo Spice, Insane Ian, Power Salad, Steve Goody, Versatile Fluff, Meow Meme, Rothschild, Bad Beth and Beyond, and this year's music guest of honor, TV's Kyle and Linzilla. There's only one thing to do, if you want to go moo-moo-moo, you do the cow. Hopefully this year they'll remember to bring their cowbell. I couldn't find it! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we don't even have a cowbell. <laughs> it's in the closet under a bunch of plastic Japanese crap. <laughs> Worth it. For more info on MarsCon, visit MarsCon.org. I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. Strange magic is what we're talking about this week. It's a movie that I've wanted to talk about for a while. So this is a weird one in that George Lucas has been working on this movie in some capacity for 15 years. And he wanted this movie to be, in his own words, what Star Wars is for boys. He wanted Strange Magic to be for girls. A movie about a fairy, it can attract young girls. I mean, Disney did it a few years earlier with Tinkerbell. But Lucas's writing has always been hit or miss at best, I would say. Lucas's writing is not his strong suit. We we talked about this before Mm -hmm. when we talked about Star Wars in that Lucas is a very good world builder. George Lucas is the person you want to sit down and you want to go, okay, George, you know, here's the genre. Now tell us what you want in the genre, you know? Tell us what you think this world contains. And then he comes up with, like, okay, there's space wizards, and they use the force, and they got these things called lightsabers, and, you know, they're, like, he sketches out the big things. And then you really, really want somebody else to sit down and go, okay, now within that framework, here's the plot and the dialogue. Because he's good at the the big stuff. And sometimes he's really good at, like, the tiny little nitpicky stuff. You know? This is a Wookiee. This is the planet they live on. This is, you know, what their holidays look like. And this is what they're, you know. Mm-hmm. But as far as, like, sitting down and plotting it out and writing down the words and figuring out how that flows together into a coherent narrative, not always his strong suit. He needs somebody to edit that from a story perspective and more often than not that was carrie fisher yeah more often than not that was carrie fisher for for most of his films um, for the first six star wars films at least yeah i don't think she worked on this one i don't know if she did uh, a lot of times she was not credited so this movie sparked your interest when i mentioned that this was actually based off shakespeare more specifically, A Midsummer Night's Dream. No, 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 it isn't. <laughs> um, as far as I can tell, this is based off Shakespeare in the sense that, like, you can be like, uh, any love story where the two leads maybe probably shouldn't fall in love is possibly Romeo and Juliet. You know what I'm saying? Mm. This is Midsummer Night's Dream in the fact of 
there are fairies and a love potion. Thus endeth the similarity, as far as I can tell. There's also a little bit of Beauty and the Beast, if the Beast stayed a beast. Which I'm fine with, but I think that was done better in Shape of Water. Mm. (laughs) Like, if you want a Beauty and the Beast story where nobody has to transform, go watch Shape of Water. (laughs) It's a much better film. That's the best uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon movie to ever been made. Yeah, no kidding. And this is also George Lucas's first musical. And it's a jukebox musical. I have nothing wrong with jukebox musicals. I've seen the very, I've seen very, very good jukebox musicals. And I've seen very, very bad jukebox musicals. This is the first time, and as a musical theater fan, it hurts me to say this. This is the first time I've ever seen a musical where I actively was telling the movie, please stop singing and move the story along. Yeah, I... It is rare where where I'm I want a musical to shut up and stop being a musical, please. I can understand a musical having a show-stopping number where the story stops and it's about these characters singing and dancing and doing their thing. But this is all show-stopping numbers. The story stops for every single song. You can't do that. Yeah, the point of a musical is that the music is integrated into the story and moves the story forward in some way. At least if if a musical is being done correctly. Even a jukebox musical, fair enough for that. Well, yeah, I mean, that is also the point of a jukebox musical is that you are finding music from other contexts, you are putting it into the story, and you are changing both the context of that original song and melding it into your story to kind of make your audience see both the song and the story in a slightly different way. And you're moving your characters and your story along using this song that they know from another context. You know, as goofy a film as it is, Mamma Mia does that very well. Because you're already familiar with those songs from another thing. You're used to them as just standalone pop songs. But when you're watching the story, you're like, oh, okay, I now understand these characters a little better because I am familiar with the song they're singing. This does not do that at all. They just sing a song. It doesn't tell you anything more about their character. They just stop and sing at you and you want them not to be sick. Do you know how much it takes for me to want to grab Alan Cumming and be like, shut your mouth already, man. And there are really good songs in here. And it's like, no. Yeah, I love some of these songs. And you've got people like Alan Cumming and Kristen Chenoweth, who I absolutely adore. And I want to slap them. <laughs> oh my goodness. And you've mentioned Mamma Mia, ABBA musical. This was going to be in the same style because Lucas originally wanted to use all Beatles songs for this musical. But he couldn't afford it, so he just went in a different direction. And it feels like Lucas just put his, his iTunes playlist on shuffle and just jotted down the songs as they came up. Yeah, there's this is such a bizarre mix of stuff. Like there's some Lady Gaga in here, there's some ELO, there's Queen there's in here. Queen, there's Burt Bacharach? Yeah, there's Burt Bacharach, there's you know, People Are Strange by the Doors, Lo- Love is Strange, which everyone knows from Dirty Dancing. But it takes you a second to realize what you're listening to because it doesn't use the most famous part of Love It's Strange. Sylvia! Yes, Mickey? How you call your lover boy? Come here, lover boy! And if he doesn't answer? Oh, lover boy! And if he still doesn't answer? I simply say, play, play. 
so I was sitting there. I was like, why do I know this song? <laughs> and it took me way too long to connect it to like, oh, yeah, because it doesn't do the Mickey and Sylvia bit that everybody is familiar with. It's just Kristen Chenoweth singing the part that you are not familiar with. Random four tops in here. <laughs> yeah, it's just. And, and of course, then it's got um three birds. Yeah, you know, nothing says musical like some Bob Marley man. Yeah, and it uh really weird for me to have that in the movie this week as you know this but I actually had an incident this week where three birds actually got into my house and I had to chase them out. So I'm sitting here watching this movie and I'm like this is creepy for this song to, to be all over the movie that I have to watch this week. The choices are weird. I don't think this movie would have been any better with an all Beatles song, an all Beatles playlist. This movie would have been like 45 minutes shorter if you just cut the songs. Yeah, and this did seem like a long movie, didn't it? This is a two-hour movie. Yeah, but it seemed so much longer than that. (laughs) I, I think the thing that angered me was after watching the film and then kind of looking at it, was that um, Gary Rydstrom, who directed it, he's he's mostly known as being the sound designer for all the Lucasfilm stuff. So if you're a credits nerd and like to read the credits like I do, you may be familiar with his his name. But he directed this one. In talking about the film, he said that he wanted he kind of saw this as Labyrinth, that he wanted this to have the magic of Labyrinth, which was also, you know, a a Lucas project. And I wanted to burn something to the ground reading that. I was like, dude, that's what you thought you were making? You looked at this film and you looked at Labyrinth and you went, I see no difference between these two. This this is the exact same vibe to me because I am offended. Labyrinth itself is one of the best fantasy movies ever made. And this is not. Very not. I mean, Labyrinth is a, is a weird sort of fever dream all its own. I'm not going to deny it. I mean, you let Bowie touch anything and it kind of, you know, has that that weird little feeling to it but and henson was already in that weird phase at that point anyway yeah it was one of the the henson experimental projects as well but even even for a weird little fever dream like labyrinth is this is i don't know i i'm not i'm not going to suggest anyone be chemically altered watching this film but it couldn't hurt (laughs) I mean, I wasn't, but at several points, I wish I kind of was. <laughs> this whole creation of this movie is weird because this is the first Lucasfilm production to come out after Disney acquired it. Like, a lot of people will say, oh, it was The Force Awakens. No, it was Strange Magic. This came out in January of 2015. Force Awakens came out in December of 2015. This apparently was like part of the deal that this film would be released. Disney did not know how to market this movie at all. How can you? So they threw this movie as part of the Touchstone Pictures brand. And it ended up being one of the final movies of the Touchstone Pictures brand. I'm not going to say this killed the brand, but make up your own conclusion. If you have to blame the death of touchstone on something i'm i'm not going to say that you couldn't blame it on that. i mean this thing bombed so hard it feels bad to have so many people so many very talented people involved with this movie both behind the scenes and doing the voices that this movie ended up so bad yeah but this This thing, I think, made less than Quest for Camelot when it came out, which is kind of bad. Lucas has had this thing prior to Disney purchasing it that Lucas was just 
greenlight any project and it would get worked on with no plan of distribution. And it would be like, well, I have a completed thing here. I'm going to shop at the studio, see who's going to distribute it. The better success story of that planning was the Clone Wars cartoon, which they did the entire first season and then were shopping it around to different networks to see who would air it. So sometimes that works. This time, clearly, it didn't because it, I don't know how long it sat in, uh, uh, in their vault until Disney decided to release it. And I mentioned Clone Wars because this definitely has that Lucas animation style. Maybe it's me. It definitely looks like it's the same team that did Clone Wars and Rebels and Bad Batch and all of them. Apologies to the fans of those, but it kind of does look like it. Yeah, I'll be honest. I have tried to watch the Star Wars animated. We've, We've talked about this privately. I cannot get past the animation style that people tell me that the stories are very good and that the characters are very good and the acting is very good i am extremely put off by the visuals they're very difficult for me to watch so i assume what what just watching this movie was painful a lot of it i found beautiful like the backgrounds were extremely beautiful mm-hmm the nature stuff was very beautiful. Parts of the character design, the stuff that they took from nature, like the butterfly wings of the fairies, the bits of the armor that were supposed to be like leaves shaped into armor, mm-hmm. um, the stuff that uh what's his name roland the kind of the bad guy wears his armor is supposed to be kind of made from leaves and stuff that stuff was gorgeous but the actual like faces of the characters and everything were very off-putting even of the fairies which are supposed to be very beautiful and all i didn't find them very attractive looking and then when you got to the stuff that was supposed to be more ugly um, in the the goblins and the trolls and stuff, it, by that point, it was just like, why, why am I watching this? A lot of the stuff when they were doing like the ferns and everything, some of that was really beautiful. Uh, so it was kind of a strange juxtaposition. So I'm like, you got the nature stuff down Pat, it's it's you can do really beautiful animation here, guys. What happened with the character design? Um, and then they did things like the hair is just static. And this was 2015. We know what could be done. I mean, we were talking about like what Pixar was doing with hair in Monsters Inc. just a few episodes ago, and that was what, like 2005 or something. Yeah. It's like a whole decade earlier, and they've got hair movement on monsters down much better than what Lucasfilm and ILM are doing in 2015 in this film. I mean, look at movies that came out around the time, like Rectangled and Brave, and that hair physic compared to this. Yeah, and it's just, they make so much uh in the film about Roland's hair and except for that one little curl he keeps playing with his hair is a helmet and so is everybody else's it feels like i get that this was intended to be the girls lucasfilm uh franchise every character does have an action figure doll appearance like to the molded hair down down to that oh my goodness and stop being like you know, this is Star Wars, but for girls. Like, you know what's Star Wars for girls? Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, I, in I mean, we've talked about this with Star Wars, that a lot of people see Star Wars as the boy's brand. You know, the boy can be Luke Skywalker. The boy can be Han Solo. You're the girl. You get to be the princess, and we get to save you. By this point, Clone Wars had already been out for a while. Ahsoka existed. Less than a year after this movie comes out, we're introduced to Rey. 
So Star Wars isn't just the boys brand. It's for everyone. Anyone can be a Jedi. Anyone can be in Star Wars. We don't need the boys brand and the girls brand to be different things. And they worked so hard trying to make Marianne just Luke Skywalker, but with fairy wings. Yeah. I mean, they really did. There's a whole scene where it's just Luke's training routine with the training bot, except it's tiny little fairies. There is literally a who's who in this cast, and I feel sorry for all of them. Yeah, it's so painful. I mean, you know, you got here, you're Alan Cumming, which I've already mentioned, playing the Bog King. And just we we love we love Alan Cumming. Come on. How do you not love Alan Cumming? Yeah. You know, Broadway veteran. And then, I mean, we haven't really talked about the X-Men films. Uh, Nightcrawler. Yeah, but really good as Nightcrawler in those. Um, I was so thrilled when he got cast uh, for that. You know, and he does he does voice work all the time. So it's not like he doesn't know his craft here. And yet in it, this one, it just kind of all falls apart. It feels like he wanted to do a voice for the Bach King, but the director just says, No, we want you to sound like Ellen Cumming. We want the we want the audience to know that Ellen Cumming is voicing this character. Yeah, so it's just kind of him, but annoyed. It just sounded like you, like, annoyed Alan Cumming in the the recording booth and then made him say his lines. The songs they have him sing are not his usual vocal style either. Mm -hmm. While he sings them well enough, they kind of give him this kind of more grungy rock kind of thing, which is... Not entirely his style. Because evil. Yeah, they're trying to do this, like, really evil kind of grunge rock thing with him. And the bad guys need to sing grunge rock and the good people need to sing pop songs. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, so why did you cast Alan Cumming for that? Because there are people who can do that. There are even Broadway people who can do that. Go get Adam Pascal for that or something. But like why why did why Alan coming for that if that's what you wanted? Anyway, um and then as our kind of heroine for this Marianne, we've got Evan Rachel Wood. Come on, Marianne. I'm pretty sure that they only named her that so they can use that song. Yeah. So you'll understand. Oh, I know you can. Come on, Marianne. And Evan Reachwood, I love her. Mm-hmm. I mean, she is absolutely killing it on Westworld. And her voice is better for what they're having it, you know, in here. Mm-hmm. It's more her vocal style. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't really have a lot to work with. Um, nobody does in this. You want to talk about Beatles jukebox musical. She's also in Across the Universe. Which is a much better jukebox musical than this, and does use all Beatles songs. And then, of course, you know, she stuck with Disney because she's in Frozen 2. I think mostly they probably just cast her so she could have that little goth makeover at the beginning. Oh, we'll get she's to that. Putting blueberries on her eyes and stuff. And then, you know, we're back to Broadway where we've got Kristen Chenoweth as the sugar plum fairy that makes the the love potion. What do you say about Kristen Chenoweth? Come on. Legend. Yeah. I mean, life-changing. And, of course, I mean, everybody probably just knows her from Wicked. Yeah, Glinda, the original Glinda. Yeah. But um, I, I knew her first because of being Sally 
and you're a good man, Charlie Brown. Miss B, I'm she. Look C, a D, a D. Well, why are you telling me? And that's my new philosophy. She's been in everything now. You can't get away from her. And who would want to? She just kind of hams it up in this, which is fine. But eventually it's just kind of, oh my goodness, hush. I need you to hush. (laughs) Yeah. And then they've got Maya Rudolph playing the mother of the Bog King, Griselda. She gets to do a voice, but no one else gets to do a voice. Yeah, everybody else is just kind of doing their own normal speaking voices. And then they've got Maya Rudolph doing this weird character voice. And I'm like, why? Maya Rudolph's got such a beautiful singing voice. Because, of course, her mom was Minnie Ripperton who sang Lovin' You. Why don't you use Maya Rudolph to sing in your jukebox musical? She gets, like, one song at the end that she croaks out in this character voice she's doing. What a waste. Are you kidding me with this? Oh. And then talking about a waste... You've Another got, Broadway legend, yeah. You've got Alfred Molina as the Fairy King. Doc Ock himself. Yeah, who also has just been in, you know, all of the Disney things. I mean, he's in, you know, Ralph Breaks the Internet, Frozen 2, and Monsters University, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, of course, like you just said, Doc Ock. But... If you have not heard his him on his, uh, when he did Fiddler on the Roof, you are doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. If I were a rich man, all day long I'd bitty bitty bum. If I were a wealthy man. Yeah, I mean, so you got him, and then you don't let him sing at all. Excuse me. I don't know. And then you got Sonny, the elf, and he's played by Elijah Kelly. Right around this same time, he was in that uh, The Wiz Live. Yeah, I saw that. That was awesome. Yeah, that was actually a really good version of The Wiz. And he did The Scarecrow. Oh, yeah, his version of You Can't Win is amazing. He had been in uh, Hairspray uh, as Seaweed. Baby, what until that? So if you've if you've seen that, that's that's where you're gonna probably know him from um as far as musicals. But you know, he was in um The Butler, the the Lee Daniels film. You know, he's got the chops, but at, at least they let him sing because he gets a lot of songs in this. They've got um the the sister of uh, Marianne, Marianne is played by a woman named Meredith Ann Bull. Uh, not as many credits for her. This kind of seems to be her big role. Um, she was also in Star Wars Rebels. She was a character called Goody Therese. Um, not a big part, it seems. This does really kind of seem to be her her one big thing that is kind of most of the big characters the last one is the uh villain of the piece the true villain roland the original love interest later villain is uh, a guy named sam paladio and he seems to be best known for the tv show nashville he is english (laughs) (laughs) And is apparently a a musician and an actor who I do not know because I never watched Nashville. (laughs) He's in this and a series of movies called The Princess Switch. I believe that is a series that, yeah, that's a, a Netflix movie series. Yeah, it does not sound like anything I want to watch. It is listed as a Christmas romantic comedy film series. 
So, no. <laughs> that sounds like all of the things I hate. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I immediately heard the voice he was using for this and I went, oh wow, no, what is that voice? It's awful. Immediate, immediate hate from me. I have spoken many times on my feelings about non-Southerners doing Southern accents on things. Let's get to this movie. Let's throw this plot out here. We have Marianne, who is the fairy princess. She is set to marry Roland. And Roland seems more interested in the power of being a ruler than actually marrying for love. He talks on and on about how he can't wait to be in control of the royal army. And then Marianne catches Roland kissing another girl and calls the wedding off. And one of my least favorite tropes in film, the goth makeover because when a girl gets brokenhearted that's what they do she gets the dark eye shadow she starts wearing pants instead of skirts and all dark colors and she shut herself off to love although i must say that the rendition of i'll never fall in love again is the best musical performance in this movie and that's only 11 minutes into the film i gotta say this whole scene was my favorite part of the movie <laughs> This is the I'm only part of the movie I dug. I was like, go get it, girl. You got the fair. glow up. You got the nice sword. You got the cool armor. Like you said, we you mentioned earlier, we get this training scene where she no longer wants to be the damsel in distress. She wants to defend herself. You know, she does this big sword fight. It, like you said, it's like Luke Skywalker training with the little ball in Star Wars, only it's a little tinier fairies, pixies, I guess. Yeah, they've got these little, like, helper pixies that do things for them. And she's got her sword, and she's tr blindfolded, and she's training against them. And it's exactly the little laser ball training droid thing. But, you know, they're little sentient pixies, which I found kind of cool. And I guess... Um, that's the best musical performance in the movie. And I will argue, I will probably agree with you that that entire glow up and training sequence is probably the best thing in the movie. Again, 11 minutes into the movie. Yeah, it is all downhill after that. I was kind of like, okay, I'm not super digging this movie, but you know, okay, goth girl glow up. I'm kind of into it. She's got a cool sword now. She's going to go out and wreck things. I'm, I'm digging it. And I would probably buy an action figure of that look. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, she like makes herself a little corset out of leaves. It's, I mean, like I'm 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 not mad at it. And you know, she's like putting blueberries on her eyes to give her like the dark eyeshadow. Like it's it's cool. Then it just it just all goes downhill from there because her boy crazy younger sister is all like, "Come to the ball with me." I want to dance with somebody. Yeah, I, I want to I dance with all the boys. And, of course, you get the best friend is actually in love with the girl, with with Sunny. And Sunny kind of gets turned down because Dawn wants to dance with all the pretty boys. And Sunny's not the, the pretty fairy boy. He's just the elf and, you know, so she'll never notice him. Not if what? he gets a love potion. <laughs> Fairy King, in a really, very big Richard move, convinces Mar Marianne to come to the dance so he can try to get Marianne and Roland back together because he believes Roland is the perfect man for her and will transform her back into the way she used to be? Question like, mark? Does the Fairy King not know what went down? That's what I, that's what I want to know. Like, does she not tell them why she called off the wedding? Because if he knows, like, Roland was kissing another woman, like, minutes before the wedding, this is not the perfect man, okay? I don't care how hot he is. He was macking on another chick 
Mid, literally minute on the way to the she is on the way to the wedding she is in the wedding dress yeah she is in her wedding gown on the way to the ceremony when she sees him making out with another chick that is what happens so yeah. if they know if if her dad knows this story this is the the richard move to end all richard moves to be like no, I still think you two can work it out. No, no, no. They cannot work it out. This was not... I mean, you know, if you're into that, if you're, like, already in an open relationship or whatever, I'm not going to be like, okay, that's forbidden. But they were not. <laughs> so, no. Giant red flag. He is cheating on her on the way to the ceremony. No, do not marry this man. And just to in put the exclamation point on it, she said at the ball, you cheated on me in front of everybody as she's singing to Kelly Clarkson while he's singing to Frankie Valley. I Those are not two artists I would expect you to do a mashup about, and it kind of doesn't work. Yeah, it is a very bizarre mashup. <laughs> What doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Come on, Marianne. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a really yeah. Yeah, they do a lot of strange mashups in this and none of them work. Like I said, it feels like Lucas or whoever just had their playlist on shuffle and was like, okay, that song and that song and that song and that song. This is what came on shuffle that we could afford. Ah. So you could, like maybe it wasn't their first choice, but it was their third choice. Like that I said, was affordable. Like I said, Lucas wanted this to be all Beatles songs. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, get to the love potion, and hilarity ensues as the wrong people get the love potions, and we gotta save the thing. And then, oh no, the girl falls in love with the evil king, and blah 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 blah. And yeah, it's. Like, it's it's kind of, uh, you know, I, I do not suggest anyone watch this movie. So to shorthand this so that no one will watch this movie, Roland decides to make Sonny go get the forbidden love potion to use so that Sonny can use it on Dawn so that she'll fall in love with him. And Roland can use it on Marianne so that she will fall in love with him and he can get the the throne, basically. Because that's all he cares about. He doesn't care about Marianne. And so Sonny falls for, for this trick and goes into the Forbidden Forest or whatever, meets the really annoying Sugar Plum Fairy who has been imprisoned by the Bog King for mysterious reasons. Ooh. Talks her into making the love potion. Dawn gets hit with it, but is captured by the Bog King. Yes, the Bog uh, King... Because of the whole, shenanigans. Yeah, the Bog King has forbidden love potions from being made because of reasons. And that's why he's captured Dawn, because he was told the little one took the love potion. Yeah. Not realizing that it's Sonny the Elf thinking it's Dawn because she is the smallest fairy. Yeah. But because of shenanigans, Dawn ends up seeing, you know, the love potion just works on whoever you, who or whatever you see first when you open your eyes after being hit with it. Um, she sees the Bog King first and falls in love with him. So now it's a quest to go into the Forbidden Forest and get Dawn back and save her from the evil Bog King. Uh, who... Turns out, spoiler alert, as it isn't actually evil, um, and is just heartbroken because one time he used the love potion on a woman he had fallen in love with, and she screamed when she saw him, when she opened her eyes, and he said the love potion didn't work, blamed the sugar plum fairy, and imprisoned him, and this whole time he hasn't known why. But over the course of the movie, we find out the secret. It's because there's one thing that can defeat the love potion, and that's actual real love. If you're already really in love with somebody, the love potion doesn't work on you. 
And if you fall in love with somebody or realize your love for somebody, it breaks the spell. So real love is the only thing that can defeat the fake love of the love potion. Um, And she was already in love with somebody else, so the love potion didn't work on her. And realizing that this man had tried to trick her was horrifying, as you can imagine. And so she was off-put by that and screamed and ran away. And so the Bog King has been blaming that. And he just didn't realize that. Because he didn't want to hear it. Well, well, he didn't want to hear it, but also he, we get the sense that he would have never tried the love potion if he'd realized she was already in love with somebody. She was already, like, dating somebody, it seems. And yeah. he didn't realize that. And is kind of horrified when he realizes what he'd done. So we get the feeling that he was not a bad guy in retrospect. He was just impatient. He even admits it that even if the potion had worked, it wouldn't be real love and he wouldn't have been satisfied. Yeah. So I kind of do like the moral of the story they were trying to get across. Like you can't force someone to love you. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's wrong to try. The point is though, is that they go through all of these shenanigans uh, to end up in the, you know, dark forbidden forest. The thing that Marianne has to learn is the beauty that is held within this forest, which is a scene I do kind of like. There is a scene where the mother of the Bog King kind of realizes Marianne might be the woman for her son. Because we find out as these two are are discuss are talking that they have a lot of things in common. There actually really is a brilliant scene where they do the sword play flirting scene kind of really well. It's it's not as good as in Mask of Zorro, but way better than Daredevil, the movie Daredevil. Yeah, it's, it's a really bizarre scene to be in a movie this bad. <laughs> Um, it's not, like you said, it's not as good as Mask of Zorro, but way better than Daredevil. You're right. I, I would, if you have to watch any part of this movie, that one little sword fight would be the thing to watch. And it's well animated. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good animated and choreographed fight scene in the middle of this garbage fire of a film. To the song straight on. Um, not the song I would have chosen, but okay. And I love how it leads into it, because, okay, I do hate when this happens, but for that por- for the for the purposes of that scene at work, is there's a lot of point in this movie where people are pointing out that people in a musical are singing. Like, why are you singing? I'm trying to sing here. And it's like, that gets annoying because that meta thing has has become part of so many modern musicals. At least, at least in film, that it kind of annoys me. But the scene where, you know, I have, you know, your sister's taken away, you know, at least you're not singing. And then she starts singing straight on. It's like, okay, you got to chuckle out of me for that one. Yeah, I do like the two little minions standing off to the side trying to help the Bog King. Like, do you need our help now? No. Do you need? It looks like you're losing this fight. Do you need our help now? No. That they keep trying to to help, like you know, hey boss, we're 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 still here. Do you need us to jump in the fight? And him just kind of constantly being like, "Shut up, I got it." You know, that that was actually a moment that did make me chuckle. I will I will say, especially at the end of the song where they're asking both of them, "Do you need help?" And they both respond, "No." <laughs> yeah, I like that they don't know whose side they're on at the end of the fight. But yeah, but as they're they're fighting, the two of them kind of realize that they do have stuff in common. And at the end of it, they're just exhausted from the fight and they're not exactly sure if they want to keep fighting anymore. And his mom just pops up and is like, dinner, come eat. <laughs> and she's got like this whole like weird Valentine's Day banquet <laughs> set up for them with like heart confetti everywhere. <laughs> Grizella wants some grandbabies. 
yeah, um, I, I don't want to ponder what those would look like. That seems terrifying. But the, then they do kind of, they go around like trashing all the deck decorations and, you know, smack talking love and, it, you know. And then they go out for, he, you know, he just wants to like show her his kingdom. And it's a shockingly beautiful scene with beautiful animation, except for the weird character designs of the two characters. To the song Strange Magic. Oh, now we know where we get our title from. But it's not a bad scene. No, it's not, actually. Like, there is some good in this movie. It's just there's so much trash around it. (laughs) Yeah. You've got all this really gorgeous animation of the environment of these plants that initially looked scary and then the moonlight hits them and the dew is illuminated and suddenly they kind of start glowing and shimmering and the ferns start unfolding and he's got like the venus fly traps or doing things and it's really pretty the way they've got it animated and he's showing her the beauty of the place and the two of them are kind of flying around and it's really captivating. And of course it leads into the misunderstanding because during this whole time Roland has amassed the royal army to come invade the Forbidden Forest and take the uh, take Dawn back by force. Because Bog King has said, return the love potion to me, or I will I will kill your entire kingdom. So say, well, he's just declared war on us. We need to retaliate. And they come marching in while chanting the little Roma, Roma, Roma from Bad Romance. Yeah. They don't actually sing Bad Romance, but they just do that little chanting part. It's like they're trying to do the O-E-O from Wizard yeah. of Oz. And, <laughs> eh. Stephanie got paid for that. Yeah, I mean, get your money, girl, but it it doesn't entirely work. Of course, it gets us to our big climactic scene where at first it's like Roland versus the Ba King, and then Roland versus Marianne, and then Ba King versus Marianne and the Ba King, all leading up to Roland taking the love potion and smacking it right in Marianne's face like he wanted to get Marianne to fall in love with him. And it doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Why didn't it work? Marianne has fallen in love with the Bot King. Aw. Uh, yeah, and the last you see of Roland before the credits hit is, uh, he gets hit with his own love potion as she punches him out off on, onto the ledge and into the abyss, you know, the... The trademark unseen death of kids' movies. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of perfect for this to be the first Lucasfilm-Disney crossover, because that is a perfect Disney villain fall to your death, because he just tumbles into the fog and never to be seen again and until the end credits. Yeah, we have our end credits scenes here, we'll get to that. But as this whole fight is happening... Roland has had his boys and the army trash the entire Bog King's castle. And it looks like the Bog King sacrifices himself to save Dawn. You know, he's running out of the, the collapsing castle. Marianne's trying to run back in. And he tosses Dawn to Marianne saying, go, go, go. As the castle just collapses on top of him. He survives, but he's clearly injured. Yeah, it seems like he has, like, dislocated his arm or something, but when he flies back out as a rubble, his mom just grabs his arm and apparently (laughs) pops it into the socket again by just yanking him around by that arm with no regard for his injury or safety. (laughs) I'm not sure if that works, but this is still, you know, animated kids movie. Kids movie logic, yeah. Yeah. But the interesting thing is how Dawn breaks the spell because Sonny has marched with the army because he he legitimately thought Don was in danger. Don's in trouble. Must be Tuesday. Don's in trouble. Must be Tuesday. He had come with the best of intentions, even though he had marched alongside Roland. Uh, he had been tricked. And uh, Roland as had of, the rest of the army. Yeah, 
Roland kind of puts all the blame onto Sonny, saying, hey, you were the one that got the love potion. You must have needed it because you're in love with Dawn. But once once Dawn is safe, you know, Sonny runs to her, makes sure she's okay, and he starts singing Three Little Birds again. Dawn realizes, you know, as he's comforting her that he is the one that's been there for her the entire time. And she actually says, oh, Sonny, I love you. Much to her own shock. And it, it does. It shocks her and him and breaks the spell because she realizes that that is her true love. That's the one that she has been in love with the whole time. Trope, but it's a sweet moment in the movie. Yeah. It does kind of mean that, you know, there is caring there because he was doing it for pure reasons and Mm -hmm. she did realize her love for him also out of pure reasons and it wasn't because he saved her it was because he was there comforting her you know he was just he was being there for her yeah and earlier in the movie you know he sets up this plan to have dawn dance with all these cute guys and it's like he wouldn't have done that if he didn't care about her in some capacity. They do say at the end of the movie that it is, you know, a romantic connection. Because um, we do see them kissing and, and stuff at the end. But it is interesting that he doesn't succeed by, like, saving the girl. You know? Yeah. he doesn't. He doesn't have this big heroic moment in the movie at all. All he does is just comforts her when she needs it yeah he's just a constant steady presence in her life which is kind of cool sometimes that's all you need yeah and i like that we in a similar way have a feeling that marianne's love for the bog king also didn't come out of his heroic act of saving dawn or anything that she had already kind of fallen in love with him from a sword fight. I like that actually. I, I think we're supposed to to think that she fell in love with him during that walk through the forest. It could work. I mean, it, that whole twenty minutes was just them showing that they are both skilled fighters. They both have a lot in common, and yes, he is a very kind king, even though he has this ugly appearance and he has forbidden love from his kingdom he still cares about his people and cares about his land and and is interested in actually ruling as opposed to just power you know he's he's actually interested in the people and what goes around yeah i mean earlier in the movie we see him actual show worry it's disguised as anger over love but his entire kingdom has been put under this love potion And he wants an antidote to rescue his people from it. And we do see what happens because there is the subplot of the imp that gets the love potion and just spreads it over everything. And we do see what happens to all these poor creatures that are just under the spell of this potion. And it's creating havoc in the kingdom. Because you've got, like, mice falling in love with turtles and, you know, all kinds of... There's the lizard that falls in love with the elf and the, you know. Mm-hmm. And it it is. It's causing just absolute chaos. And that's what he was saying, is that it's not necessarily true love that he has a problem with. Is that it was... The misuse of this potion Mm. that was causing a problem. That you have a feeling that there was a time before where something like this had happened on a much larger scale. That the Sugar Plum Fairy had been making lots of potion and just giving it to people on a whim. or and uh, Because she already knew about that imp. When Sonny comes to her and she says, don't let that imp get a hold of the potion. He just likes to spread it around wherever, you know? Causing chaos, yeah. So I have a feeling that her and that imp had a history, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
And I have a feeling that that was also something that the Fog King had seen before, that that imp had been causing trouble or that people had been using the potion for evil purposes and that it had caused a lot of issues. Mm. And so his banning of the love potion had been taken kind of out of context as a banning of love, which I don't I don't think was the intent. You might be right because there is a running gag in the movie of the different minions of the Ba King playing telephone. And by the time the message reached the Ba King, the message has been completely lost. Yeah. And to the point where he has to go to the very first per- He has to leave the castle, goes to the very first person in line saying, what did you say? Yeah, it's like the first one is something like there's a small elf in the forest. And then by the time it ends up to him, it's like. There's a giant in the forest or something like that. Yeah, it's like it's something. And and there's a gag at the end of the movie where, you know, they play the, the telephone game again. And it's supposed to be um, the end, you know, and it comes out as T-Blend. And, you know, it says at the end, T-Blend, you know. So you might be right. I think it's just he banned the love potion. And through this really, really bad game of telephone, it's become we're banning love from the kingdom. Yeah, and I think it just, he was like, you know what? I, I don't care enough to to correct it. Mm-hmm. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. But we get to this ending here, and uh, Maya Rudolph, in this gravelly, wicked, witchy voice, singing, tell him, oh, I feel so sorry for Maya Rudolph in this movie. She deserves better. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's that's the thing is, uh, they they convince Marianne to confess her love for the Bog King. And convince the the Bokin to convince to confess her love his love for Marianne and it starts very sweet. He's trying to talk in, for lack of a better term, her language by using a pop song by using "Can't Help Falling in Love," to which she stops him and says no, and she says it in, for lack of a better term, his language by singing the song "Wild Thing." Once again, mashups that do not work. We don't get a typical ending in this kind of movie where, again, I hate this trope, and I'm glad they didn't. This movie did not use it, of the goth girl dropping the goth look after she's found a guy or something like that. Yeah, she's she's still her, and she's still got the same look. He's still got his same look. Yeah, there's no, it's a beauty and the beast, but the beast never changes. And we have this little <laughs> fairy king. At first he goes, you know, oh, you know, we shouldn't, you know, maybe the lesson is we shouldn't judge a book by its cover. Maybe, you know, even though they 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 look scary, they're actually good people. And then faints when he finds out that one daughter is now in love with an elf and his other daughter is in love with the Bog King. Yeah. Because at first he's just like, oh, well, travel between the two kingdoms. Sure, we can be friends. And then, like, he sees his daughters kissing men that he wouldn't have chosen Appro- for them. Yeah, approved of them, yeah. Um, And then he faints, which is not a great joke, but whatever. Uh, And then we get our mid-credits scene, which is we find out what happened to Roland, which is he has fallen in love with an insect. They're just uh, really going at it there. Yeah, he he just starts making out with a third. I think the last line we get from Roland is, oh, honey, I think I got your antenna. For a character that is has obsessed over his own looks and lust for power throughout the movie to have him fall in love with an insect, okay, come up and fine. That's strange magic. This was Lucas's attempt to appeal to girls and do a musical. And it it did neither. I mean, I guess you can call this a musical on a technical sense, but it's not appealing and it's not good. There is something here, though. 
there are good parts to this movie. Like we said, the 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 never fall in love again scene, the sword fight scene, the strange magic scene. There are pieces of this movie that are good, but it's surrounded by so much bad. If you had people who knew better, and I'm not really trying to dog on Lucas here, but if he had taken this idea and has he brought in people, not necessarily using in-house Lucasfilm people, but maybe consulted with like Disney or Pixar, or since this was kind of in production before the buyout, maybe DreamWorks consulted with them on this, this could have been a lot better. Well, this was at the stage in Lucas's career, you know, we got to that point with the prequels. People kind of stopped telling him no. And I know I know that this was, you know, directed by Rydstrom. The screenplay was like, was by three different people, none of whom were Lucas. The story was supposedly by Lucas. It feels like a lot of George Lucas ideas to me, you know? Yeah. That maybe somebody should have said no to. I just, I don't know what to make of this. I was so baffled watching this film. And again, that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it. Because just, there's so much going on in this movie that just makes you wonder why. But also, if you actually dissect this movie, there are some good in it. It feels like this is a two-hour movie and about 15 minutes of it is good. Yeah, like I, I was gonna say, the the good you've picked out, and and I do agree with it. it it's only like you know, fifteen minutes of a, of a two hour movie, so I, I'm not sure we can really call that a a great ratio. No, but it's like there's there's some good in here. There is the foundation of something good in here, and I think you're right that's because no one had the gumption to tell George Lucas no, a lot of that got surrounded by a lot of garbage. And I think in the hands of someone else, or if someone had said, hey, George, this is a good start, but let's let's hand this to someone who knows what they're doing. You know, bring in someone, again, consult someone from Disney, consult someone from Pixar, DreamWorks, Blue Sky, whoever, and that you could have this kind of movie be really good. Like, there's a lot of potential in this movie, but potential can only take you so far. Maybe cutting the songs out altogether, focusing more on Marianne as a character and not just as an archetype. Because I feel like most of this movie, she's treated like an archetype rather than a character. Yeah, if if you if you try to describe these characters, it's difficult to do so in more than a couple of words. You know, a good character, you should be able to sit down and give me like a full page of what their personality is like. You know, you should be able to give me, like, a nice little essay sketch on what their personality is like. One sister is tomboy. One sister is girly girl. Girly girl has homely best friend that she doesn't notice. Oh, we have ugly king who hates love. Yeah, these are very tropey. Um, and, and tropes are not bad. They exist for a reason. Mm-hmm. But tropes are a starting place. They're not an end point if you're doing it right. Yeah, and unfortunately, they never go past the archetype for 90% of this movie. So, I kind of already know the answer to this one, but Kiki, does Strange Magic have the magic? No. No. (laughs) That is a no for me. This movie is... 10% 10% magic at best, and that is if you're squinting. How many ways can we say no? <laughs> I feel like I should find more ways to say no. There's a million billion ways to say no, according to this uh, this uh, 
80s cartoon about drugs featuring all the cartoon characters. <laughs> oh, goodness. That's not Dizzy, so we don't have to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to next week. As uh, we start our Oscars season here, uh, the Oscars are coming up, and we're going to be taking a look at Disney's three movies that are up for Best Animated Feature. First up next week, Raya and the Last Dragon, which uh, I've been wanting to talk about since I saw it, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking about it. What about you? Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to talk about. Uh, we've talked about its star before, speaking mm-hmm. of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So uh, be interesting to see her foray into the uh, Disney lineup. And we will talk to you all then. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.